just thank everybody that was cooking breakfast for us this morning, by the way? I mean, that's something that we've been doing for over 10 years. Once a month, we've been having those potlucks together and having breakfast. And I can just tell you, you add up all the individuals that have made that happen over the years, all the food that's been served. And I think, you know, as I widen my view, just to all the folks who are involved in even pulling off this gathering every single Sunday, this is all in a truck. And then it comes out of a truck very early in the morning. And then there's these services. So again, can we just thank everybody who's got a role in, in serving in this community? It's huge. It's huge. It's so valuable and important, and it's going to be something that Jesus talks about again. And, and when Jesus repeats something over and over again in the scriptures, you know that's, a, that's something to take notice of. This is serious. If it's serious to the Son of God, it should be serious to us. And one of those things is service. It's going to be so clear as we get into Matthew chapter 23. Uh, would you open your Bibles there this morning? We're always in God's Word. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew for a year plus. Someone said to me, that's a really long time to be in Matthew. Sure, yeah, but we're, we're in God's Word every single week. I mean, I don't need to dress up a series. I don't need to, you know, make it engaging. It is engaging. It's truth. So every time that we gather together, whether it's this book or it's that book, whether we've been in it for a year or we've been in it for three months, man, I just believe God is going to change things in our lives. That He's going to speak to us boldly and clearly. And, and that'll be the case this morning as we open up to Matthew chapter 23. I know some of you guys are guests this morning, so by way of introduction, I just want to remind us all where we were in Matthew's gospel. Last week, Austin was preaching. He was sharing about this series of confrontations that Jesus was having with the religious leaders. They were going back and forth. Jesus had already taken a couple shots at them uh, on, on the temple grounds. He had declared that these religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were going to lose their special place in God's kingdom be replaced by those who were repenting and changing their lives, the tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes were going on ahead of them into the kingdom of God. No, they didn't take too kindly to that. So they're just assaulting, they're just pelting Jesus with questions all over the map to try to undermine his authority in front of the adoring crowds. But Matthew chapter 22 finished by saying Jesus handled it. He answered with authority. He answered all their questions. Uh, essentially, they had nothing further to say. They were silenced because of his answers. Now, Jesus, on the other hand, he was not silenced. He was not done speaking to them. And we're going to see here in Matthew chapter 23 that he's going to be calling out the toxic culture of authority that those contemporary leaders had in his day. We're going to find that's not just an issue that we dealt with in the past. We're still dealing with a toxic culture of authority, even in spiritual communities today. So there's a lot of relevance here. Let's open up again, as I said, Matthew chapter 23. The verses will also be on the screens. We're reading in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, these prayer boxes, wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not 
call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pause there this morning. Here we have, as I said, Jesus' assessment of the leadership culture of the day in which he lived. And he uses it as a contrast and as a teaching point for his own discipleship community. That is his followers. That is the church. That is you and I. This is supposed to be a point of contrast for us so that we are a part of something different. You know, he begins by pointing the finger at those religious leaders saying, look, they sit in Moses' seat. So they have this seat of prominence. You know, they have the dominance on YouTube or the podcasts or whatever, right? Back in that day, uh, those didn't exist. But yes, you understand what I'm doing, drawing the connection. They had the same reach. They had the same platform. But it was even more than that for these religious leaders because they're sitting in this seat of judge, right? They're judging social cases and things like that, using the Old Testament scriptures as a weapon. They were weaponizing it, essentially, Jesus was saying. So there's a sense in which he's telling them, look, respect their position. If only you're respecting their source material. You've got to listen to what they tell you. If only because of this role, if only because of this source material that they're using. It'd be sort of like, you know, if you've got a boss on a Zoom call who's clearly not paying attention, they're checked out, they're probably looking at memes of the Oscars slap or something like that. You know, it's one thing for them to do that, but if they catch you doing that on the Zoom call, right, you've got to be careful. You've got to be careful to listen to what this person's telling you because they're in the place of authority, right? And maybe the policy is true, so listen to what they tell you. And yet, because of that duplicity, the fact that they are doing these things that they say you shouldn't be doing, they're not doing other things that they say you should be doing, because of that duplicity, sure, listen to what they tell you, but do not do what they do. Because if you look at their example, these guys are long on sermons, and they're short on life application, following it for themselves. The problem is not only that they fail to fulfill the words that they so eloquently share with everyone, but in verse 4, he says they're also maybe even committing spiritual abuse with their authority. They're tying up heavy, cumbersome loads on people's shoulders. Now, I've been dealing with some cumbersome loads in this last week. I tore out my front lawn, which was just a variety of weeds. I was collecting all sorts of different weeds, and I had a little garden there of weeds. So, uh, you know, we want to use the front lawn and not get stung by something out there and not get itchy, so I, I'm out there removing everything. And this is my second time doing this in four years because I clearly don't know how to care for a lawn. And, uh, you know, I'm out there, and it's back-breaking labor. I don't even have that much grass. I cut it down to just a small little rectangle. But even that was tough. I, I went to my wife. I said, I can't ever do this again. If I do this again, we're doing artificial turf. And she's like, no way, we're not doing that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, she's a decision-maker with the lawn. I go, what, what am I going to do? I got to take care of this. I got to go out there with a microscope. You're going to be seeing me like looking for every little bit. I got to defend this thing because I can't do this again. You know, I don't know what's going on, but you know, people say, oh, I got the rototiller. I got the sod cutter. I had a pickaxe. I had a pickaxe and a wheelbarrow. 
And it got to the point, you know, Saad's going to be delivered on this day, so I don't have enough time to actually get this thing done over a period of time, so it's got to all happen right now. I'm out in front on my hands and knees. I can barely lift the littlest clump of weeds to throw in the wheelbarrow, and it's terrible because some of my neighbors are a part of branches, so they're walking by. They're seeing me in this state of being, right? I mean, I, I couldn't move. That's how toilsome the labor was. That's how cumbersome the work was. And Jesus is using that physical picture as a metaphor for how these spiritual leaders are weighing down the people with their authority and with their words. How is that possible? How could you be weighing down someone with a cumbersome load through your authority, through your words and your teaching? Well, it's all the demands, the constant demands of these religious leaders upon the people. Law after law after law. All these thoughts about what they've got to think. You've got to think this, and you've got to think that. And you've got to do this, and you can't do that. And you've got to do it right, and you've got to do it right now. Right? That's what's being conveyed to the people. And all the while, these guys, like, they're going around just masquerading, right, as authorities. Well, they go home, they kick up their feet. These other folks have to walk away and think, man, I'm a spiritual failure. I'm filled with all this guilt, because they were removed from the average person's experience. They had no heart. They had no sympathy. They weren't with the people like Jesus was with the people. So it's a really wicked picture. You know, these untouchables parading around while the masses are just exhausted. Jesus says it's obvious these guys, they're not doing this to serve the interests of God. They're not doing this to serve the interests of any of you. They're just playing dress up and sharing about things that they couldn't care less to live for themselves, instead of a life that's adorned with the fruit of godliness and goodness, they just did the easier thing. They took the shortcuts. They just put more ornaments on the tree. You know, they got these phylacteries, these boxes where they keep little scriptures attached to their head or to their arms. You know, so they got them real wide so everyone can see. I got a lot of scriptures in here. You know, they, they got the tassels, you know, which is talked about in, in, the, in the book of law, right? But they're just getting longer and longer and longer to show just, you know, all their spiritual peacock feathers. We've got the equivalent in HB. It's lifted trucks, right? I mean, that's like a statement. And I've got a truck myself. Everybody's like, you watch it. No, no, I got a truck myself. And I, I love lifted trucks, right? I've seen some mean looking trucks in Huntington Beach. Let me tell you something. I, there was a statement that was made a couple weeks ago. I heard what sounded like a semi barreling through my neighborhood. So I like run to the front to look out my window. My wife was there too, I believe. And yeah, it sounded like a semi. I look out. It's a semi. It's a literal semi that's just someone's daily driver. Have you seen that thing around? It's massive. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like exaggerating like a truck lifted to the point of looking like a sem- someone is driving a semi as their daily driver in Huntington Beach. And it's like, that's the mic drop. All right, you, you made, I saw you. I get it, all right? The, uh, the message is clear from you, right? And essentially, that's what Jesus is saying with these religious leaders. Everybody notice me. Yeah, okay, we notice you. We see the prayer box. We see the tassels. You, you got enough attention now. But that's what Jesus says they loved. Verse 6, they loved the seat of honor at the party, this distinguished seat in the synagogue, right? They loved that too, where they would be set apart. They could be noticed at the spiritual gathering. They loved the public spaces. They loved going out there in the marketplace and shaking hands with fellow influencers who addressed them with these honorific titles. He says it's a sham. It's a sham. All of it is empty. Empty. 
all of it is vain. It's meaningless. There's nothing to it. It's fake. It's all fake. It's all just theater. But it's even worse than that because it's harming people. It's abuse. It's spiritual abuse. And then Jesus turns to his discipleship community. He speaks to us. He says, but not you. But not so with you. All the stuff I just talked about, all that pageantry, draw the line, everybody. The red line that we're not going to cross. You're not going to be anything like this. Don't stomach it. Don't tolerate it. Don't play a part in it. That vain, empty, all words, all ornaments, heartless spirituality. In our world with all the books and with all the conferences and all the personalities and the money and the hype and the stages and the empty honors and the who's who and the shoulder rubbing and the Instagram selfies with the spiritual somebody who's, who is that? That's nobody. With these social media accounts, you know, social media is a great revealer of the human heart because it is the most powerful tool for vanity that humanity has ever created. Don't use those posts. Don't promote this propaganda of the self. Don't fall for any of it. Don't under any circumstances follow anyone else who's using these tools and methods to take the place of Jesus in your heart. It's essentially what he says in verse 8. Don't call each other rabbi, distinguished teacher, Jesus says. You have one. Don't call anyone father. You have one. You have one in heaven. Don't call anyone instructor or mentor because you have one. The way I summarize it is Jesus is saying, don't let anyone become your master or Lord except me. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Now, my question is, why would we let anyone do that? Why would we make anyone our master or Lord besides Jesus? Why would we sign up to play extra in someone's self-pride parade? You know, what's going on in us? Well, I, I think there's insight into the human psyche in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, you have the Israelites just let out of slavery by God himself, being directed by God himself, pillar of smoke, pillar of fire, miracles they've encountered. They're being led into the promised land. God is going to establish them as a new nation. Moses, you know, this, this mediator for God's people is going up on Mount Sinai and they decide to make a golden calf. They decide to just melt their jewelry together and worship this golden calf. Why? Why with everything that's going on? Well, here's a look into the human psyche. Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods that will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt... We don't know what's happened to him. This was what was driving them. Moses was too long in coming down the mountain. It was going to take too much time to listen to what God was saying, to wait on his word. You know, man, what are we going to do? Who's going to go before us? You know, we want something to worship. We want something to follow, and we want it right here, right now. So there's this temptation for us as human beings in this immediacy of human leaders and even spiritual narcissists, right? They're like these social black holes. No light escapes. They devour souls. And we feed them. We feed them our souls. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? That's because they have the answers, we think, 
that we're seeking. And they have the certainty. They give us the certainty that we need in the unknown. And they seem to possess the power that we don't possess in ourselves. So we're constantly fooled into thinking we need this person in this seat of honor. We need this father figure. We need this instructor to show us the way. And Jesus says, you need only me. What you need, 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 is only me. Now and forever. Isn't it incredible? As we think back to what Jesus said, isn't it praiseworthy? This is what gets me more excited than anything as I'm studying this passage, that Jesus, as the one true Lord and Master, instructor, mentor, rabbi, the one who reveals the heart of our Father in heaven, that he is the inverse of every critical comment that he put against his contemporaries. You see that? He's the inverse. He didn't sit in Moses' seat up on a high horse. He's out on the lakeside, out in the rural wilderness, meeting with the people. I mean, his true seat is a seat at the right hand of God. And it's a good thing because he practiced what he preached, right? He did what he told others to do in his example. In fact, when we think about Jesus, you have to be careful to do everything that he did because he did it all. He most certainly didn't tie burdens on people's shoulders that they couldn't carry. He's our burden bearer, right? He took upon himself the burdens of our own devices and making of our own sin. He took it upon himself on the cross to remove it from my shoulders and from your shoulders. And then he said, I'm going to give you this this easy yoke, this light burden, which is my teaching, which is my way, empowered by my spirit, rather than this cold, dead religion that just sorrows the heart. He lifted more than a finger to help the average person. Think about the fact that he touched lepers. You know? he, he sat with a woman at the well and dignified her when she was living like damaged goods. You know, he comforted grieving parents in their loss. He had dinner at the social outcast's house to invite him into a new birth in the kingdom. He did much more than lift a finger. He filled us with his spirit, as I said moments earlier. That's our rabbi. That's the heart of our father in heaven. That's our mentor. And we are no more than one family together following him forever. So I want to say this. Among the things I'm going to say this morning, protect yourself. Protect your heart. Protect your soul by hiding it in Christ. Protect yourself, protect your soul, protect your life by hiding it in Christ in that exclusive allegiance and worship of him. Rich people are always talking about where to hide their money in safe deposit. Is it in real estate? You know, is it in Bitcoin? I don't have these problems. You know, I never asked this question. Is it in fine arts? You know, where do I put my store of value so that I can keep it for the future? Is it gold? Christian radio loves gold. I'm here to tell you that the real answer for where to put your money is that, no, I'm not here to tell you that. All right, I have no interest in sharing that with you. I have an interest in sharing with you where to hide your heart, where to hide your soul, where to hide your identity. Hide it in Christ. So many people get so deeply hurt in their experience of the church And a lot of times, very valid because you see these themes here spoken about in Matthew chapter 23, and they're happening. They're happening in the church today. 
There was another documentary expose that came out on Discovery Plus of one of the most influential megachurches that's around today. Makes me think, first of all, wasn't Discovery about science at one point? But forget all that. Now doing exposés on churches. So look, if you watch it, you'll probably say, wow, there's a lot of Matthew chapter 23 in that community. And right now, as we speak, that church is basically imploding. And if I look back at my childhood, the churches that were most influential during my childhood up through the time that I was being raised for my teenage years, I'd say the majority of them have fallen apart overnight due to scandal. But if you get disillusioned by all that, it's because you put something on human beings that was meant only for Christ. If you get disillusioned by that, it's because you put something on people that was only meant for Christ. Because if anything involves people, there's a good chance it could turn into a wicked mess. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the vine that we are attached to as branches, and he is our Lord and Master in all purity for all time. And so I want you to know that the degree to which your loyalty and trust and admiration and worship is for Jesus, that is the degree to which you are insulated from the poison and the infection of worldliness in faith institutions. Because there is nothing worldly in the leadership of Jesus, your Lord and Master. But secondly, we have a responsibility, right, to craft something different. Jesus goes, here's the line. My people, my followers, my discipleship community, not so with you. Not so with you. You've seen that story of empty leadership and authority played out over and over and over again with all its signs and symbols and signals of who's above everybody else. Not so with you. You and I must value service rather than seeking this status. You and I have to be practicing. It's not like we just become humble one day. The people who are humble are people who are costly. They're practicing humility rather than seeking honors. You and I have to represent, we have to stand for true love, true compassion, instead of just increasingly dead, complicated theology and practice. There's going to be a lot of theology. There's going to be a lot of practice. But if it's divorced from the greatest commandments, then what are we even doing? And as we're reaching people in this world, in this society, we can't just preach at people. We've got to walk with people. That was the way of Jesus. See, Jesus is, yes, accusing that leadership of being very vain and empty, but he's also using that as an opportunity to form us as a community of believers. So I want to make a couple summary statements about this community. And some of it is just going to seem so duh, but sometimes that's what we need. We just need it in that sort of simplicity. And I believe through Matthew chapter 23, Jesus wants us as branches to be a community where no one is more important than another. No one is more important than another. You know, it's funny. I was trying to figure out the grammar of this statement. And this is the kind of stuff you do as a pastor. I got in my head about it. No one is more important than the other. No one is more important than another. So I asked Google. 
And as I'm entering this into the Google search, no one is more important than it gave me one predicted question. No one is more important than yourself. That was what the predictor of Google presented to me. So revealing, isn't it, about our world? There's nobody searched anything else. You know, nobody's wondered if somebody else is more important than them or no one is more important than yourself. That is the tagline of Matthew chapter 23 for these folks. That is what so many people think in this world. And Jesus is changing us in this community. Don't think anyone is more important than another. Isn't that what this is about? I mean, getting rid of all those signs and symbols and signals that these folks are higher than these folks in the pecking order of the spiritual community, and they're really special, and everybody has to rally around them. Jesus goes, I'm special. I'm special, and you're all brothers, and you're all sisters. And isn't that freeing? Because now you're just family. You're just family following me. So you should never in any corner or part of this community encounter a pecking order. I don't care if it's men's ministry, women's ministry, serving with one of our partners. There's no place where, oh, this person's in this seat and this person dresses this way and it's a statement about where they live and where they drive from. I don't care if you drove here in your house, meaning you live out of your car. You're not less important than anyone else at this gathering. You're one of our brothers or you're one of our sisters if your faith is in Christ. That has to be real. That has to be real for us. Second, we've got to be a community where we give instead of get. I've said something like this a couple weeks ago. That's because Jesus repeats himself. So it's okay if I repeat myself, if Jesus repeats himself in the scriptures. We've got to be a community that gives instead of gets. Because in this one, man, the leaders were looking to get something from the people, and the people are looking to get something from the leaders, and God isn't getting anything out of it. And this is a mess. Okay, yeah, there's going to be people who are gifted in teaching and gifted in roles of leadership, and everybody's going to have different giftings, but they're all roles of service. The whole point is that we would now, as brothers and sisters, serve one another humbly in love. If we all arrive here looking to give instead of receive, I have a feeling the Holy Spirit is going to be upon us in such a way. It's going to be like the book of Acts. There's not going to be anyone with any need. Isn't that funny how we could come not looking to receive, not looking to get, looking to give, and then in a roundabout way, everything is taken care of. I truly believe that's possible if we're the sort of community that Jesus is calling for. And then finally, I think this is a very important statement, something that Jesus is establishing. We've got to be, as branches, a community that's patient enough and faithful enough to keep Jesus Lord. We've got to be patient enough and faithful enough to keep Jesus Lord. Now, why do I use those words? Because this is getting into the psyche of the Israelites in the book of Exodus. It's also getting into the psyche of why people follow the immediacy of human leaders because the times get weird. Times are weird, right? They've been weird. They've been strange. There's a lot of questions out there. There's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of fears and anxieties. So what does that do? That prompts in us the desire for answers. We want something to solve our problems. But there's a good chance that's an opening for us to start looking to human leaders rather than looking to Jesus, being patient enough to not look to somebody else, but to sit with God and hear him lead us.
constantly people are going to be paraded in front of us on YouTube, on TV, in our political system, in our churches. Here's the answer. This is the person. This is what we all needed all along. You got to filter that through Jesus. He's the one you needed all along. And he's the one who will never fail you. For so much of Christian history, centuries of Christian history, the church has been parceled out and divided over human leaders. Some guy, you know, has raised up some woman. They say, well, here's my thoughts about Jesus' thoughts. And then you craft a whole system around that. And then there's all these people that fellowship with that system. And then they can't, you know, fellowship with anyone else from the other side. I gotta, now I got to go through that person to get to Jesus to get to God. And if I don't go through that person, like you go through that person, I guess I can't have fellowship with you any longer. Someone has become before Jesus, and that's kept us from one another, those who serve Jesus. Don't let anyone, don't let anyone come between us and Christ and our Father in heaven, and thereby extension, you and another brother or sister. Because if I have access to my Father in heaven through Jesus, and you have access to your Father in heaven through Jesus, we have access to each other. We have fellowship. But then somebody else comes along, oh, do you support this person? How much do you support this person? You support them as strong as I do? And then we end up divided. It's because we weren't patient enough. We weren't faithful enough to keep Jesus our Lord and realize everyone else is just a brother. They're just a sister. They're on the same level that we're on, serving the Lord. You know, and I'm so grateful that that's true because of everything I said earlier, that he's the best Lord and he's the best master. <laughs> he's the best. So we can come before him with full confidence when we come before him in prayer this morning. Would you join me as we enter a time of prayer and ministry and singing? And, and I do, I just want to start with a, a heart of gratitude. Jesus, I am so grateful that you are Lord and Master, that you're our pastor. Jesus, you'll raise up brothers and sisters that serve in all kinds of different roles, but ultimately, they're pointing to you. All of us are pointing to you, Jesus. We're all following you. We don't need someone else to stand in the way between us and our Father in heaven. That's you, Jesus. You're our mediator. So, Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you that you didn't let the sham exist. I thank you that you pointed out the vanity and its emptiness and the meaningless words and the practices that didn't have any significance in them any longer because there's no heart in it any longer. Lord, and you're going to infuse it through your church, your discipleship community. You said, not so with you. I'm doing something different. Fill with my Holy Spirit. These folks, they're going to serve one another humbly in love. They're going to be brothers and sisters following me, our Father in heaven. Oh, Lord, I just thank you that you've rescued us. I thank you that you are that burden bearer for us. No one else could take upon themselves our sin. No one else could forgive us and become our means of forgiveness. No one else could show us a life of walking in the Spirit, which is actually life even as we pursue you and serve you. Thank you that you lift more than a finger. That every, 
Every example in the scriptures shows what your heart is, how you relate to us, how your heart is for us. Thank you, Lord, that as long as we're rooted in you, the true vine, we're insulated from the worldliness. We're insulated from the mess because you're pure and holy and good forevermore. So, Lord, just eliminate pride and eliminate the pecking orders and the different ways that we accord value to people. Lord, let this be a true family. Let this be a true family where we're giving, we're giving to our brothers and sisters rather than looking to get, get, get. Doing what we saw you and heard you do, Jesus. Jesus.